This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off for a few days and returns on Thursday. In the meantime, great to be with you on Fight Back again, along with our Monday Zoomer squad. We are just getting them locked in now. David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media. Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. And Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. Hello, squad. Hey, Jane. Hi, Jane. I think we've got two out of three. Um, Gavin is still trying to locate David Kravitz, but we will be in our conversation with Bill and Peter. Uh, I want to start by talking about the scare for Brian Mulrooney and his family over the weekend. We haven't been told a lot, but we do know that the former prime minister, now aged 81, underwent emergency surgery on Friday. Uh, an urgent procedure, which was a complete success, according to a family spokesperson. Bill, I don't know about you, but for me, this really brings into focus how precious life is and how it can turn from normal to urgent in, in seconds. Well, it certainly does. And although uh, uh, Prime Minister Mulroney was uh, uh, even older than me, <laughs> he uh, he always seemed like a, like a young man full of, full of life and to, to, to think that this can happen to anyone and so quickly and under these kinds of uh, circumstances certainly gives us all pause to think about our own mortality, I guess. Well, that's it, really. And, and Peter, we we do know, I mean, there's no point speculating, but we do know that Brian Mulroney's wife, Mila, noticed he wasn't himself on Friday night, and she called 911. And that's also a reminder that as a partner, as a spouse, as someone who lives with somebody who's having weird symptoms, you can never overreact in those situations. No, and and uh, especially when you're in your 80s and... Uh... You know, and and with the current, uh, you know, uh, the, with the pandemic raging, it, it could be anything, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stay on top of these symptoms, and uh, we wish the former prime minister the best. Uh, he's a tough guy. I'm sure he'll make it through. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, Pete, yeah. Bill, go ahead. Yeah, I just say Peter's uh, right, and and you know what we're hearing uh, from health officials sometimes these days is because of the pandemic, people are hesitating to call nine one one as quickly as they might have before, or hesitating to call an ambulance uh, uh, because they don't want to take the place of someone else or or have the uh, uh, the problem of having an ambulance come to their house. And we've got to be reminded that uh, that's what they're there for. They're equipped to look after us, and and we're not bothering somebody by making a phone call, even if it turned out not to be an emergency. They don't mind coming if you thought it was an emergency. It wasn't that long ago on World Stroke Day, we were talking with experts about, and we don't know if this was the situation with Brian Mulrooney, the fact that he had emergency surgery, it was probably heart-related, who knows, but you could, when you start to see the symptoms of stroke, 
smoke, for instance, and and they are obvious. That's even if you're by yourself, you're to pick up the phone and call nine one one. That's that's what it's there for. Right, because time is of the essence, and uh, you know the quicker they can get to you, the the uh, quicker they can uh, limit the complications to whatever the procedure is. Peter, now, regardless of your political leanings, uh, certainly Brian Mulroney is of historical significance to this country, Peter. Absolutely. I, I mean, he uh, he was uh, one one conservative leader who managed to keep all the conservatives in the in the big tent. He kept the West, Ontario, and Quebec, and the um, the alliance didn't last forever, obviously, because he got demolished at the end of his. Uh, second majority, but actually he didn't get demolished. He passed it over to Kim Campbell, who mm-hmm. paid the price. But um, dur- during his run, he he did what, um, you know, Aaron O'Toole is trying to do now as, as leader of the party and, and, and tried to keep all these sort of rowing uh, segments of, of the Conservative Party, you know, singing off the same song sheet. And, um, you know, whether O'Toole will be able to do that and, and mimic Mulroney's success, is uh, it's still a big question. David Kravitz joins us now, Vice President at Zoomer Media. Hi, David. Hi. Sorry about that. I had a little phone problem there. No worries. Uh, Good morning, do you want to, I just want you to weigh in on uh, former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, who is resting comfortably. He's weak, but he's okay. He had that emergency surgery on Friday night. Um, I, You know, we were just talking about how you can never overreact by calling 911, which is what we hear his wife Mila did. And uh, also how quickly things can change, when, especially when you're older, even if you appear to be fit uh, mentally and physically. Well, that's true. And I think everybody should feel uh, very glad that he's okay. I concur with what um, Peter just said, uh, what I heard uh, about you know, his, his role. And you know he's he's he continues to be very very uh, uh, I don't know about influential but certainly a very knowledgeable commentator. I've read stuff he's written uh, within the past couple of years. I attended an event less than two years ago where he was on a panel with David Cameron, the British uh, PM, and uh, very uh, up to the minute, intelligent, deep, sustained analysis of what was going on. So he, he's a man who's made a huge contribution, I think, continues to. 81 years old, uh, live and well, Brian Mulroney. We, we all hope that we'll be talking about him for years to come. I hope so. As we uh, switch topics here, we've learned today that the giving of the first COVID-19 vaccine is imminent in Ontario after the first shipment arrived here this morning by plane at Hamilton's airport. In this province, healthcare workers of long-term care homes and other high-risk settings will be first to get their shots. Uh, your thoughts as we begin this process, Bill? Uh, we're very pleased to see that the uh, Ontario government is basically following the recommendations uh, coming out of uh, uh, NACI, the, the National uh, Advisory Board that uh, uh, independently but scientifically lets us know how these things should happen. And of course, long-term care homes, the people who work in them, the people who live in, in them are at the highest risk and should get them uh, first. We're also uh, pleased to see the uh, authority with which the military officials are are taking over the uh, process and actually sounding like they're organized and prepared 
unlike perhaps the uh, government people who were trying to get the flu vaccine out uh, a month ago. And, and Zoomer Squad, as we've been chatting here, my team has just let us know that the first vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine, has been given in Ontario. A woman by the name of Anita Quidangan, Quid Angan. She was. She is a PSW, and I guess um, David, that's appropriate given what's happened in long-term care homes. That a PSW should be the first to get the shot in Ontario. Well, I think it's very important. I think it's important for two reasons. First of all, in recognition of the uh, contribution they've made and the risks they've run, and secondly, as a, just a pragmatic measure, you want to protect the people who we continue to rely on. Uh, you know, as the uh, as this uh, crisis continues, so uh, I think that's good news on two on two fronts. And Peter, your thoughts as uh, the first vaccine is given in Ontario? Yeah, and 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 it has symbolical value too because um, you know the PSWs uh, they, they they are on the front line, but they're often forgotten. They're underpaid. They're overworked. Um, they they have very difficult job and. Um, it's nice to see them being at the front of the line, and and I know I um, I did a story on this, and and almost everyone who responded to the story about uh, vaccine priority thought that uh, nursing home workers should be front of the line. So that it's good to see that on everythingzoomer.com. Yeah. Yes, good point. And and if you'd like to get in on the conversation as well, it is an historic moment that the first COVID-19 vaccine has been delivered in Ontario, has been injected into a PSW. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now, we do know that the vaccine is being taken directly to residents of two long-term care homes in Quebec. So a little bit of a different process in Quebec, where they've received special freezers to house the Pfizer vaccine, which needs to be kept at ultra low temperatures. So this process of taking the vaccine to nursing homes is the only one of its kind so far in Canada. Uh, Bill, that would that's obviously not experimental, but uh, it is a logistical challenge that they've taken on uh, in Quebec. We're not doing that here yet. Well, they they have, and, and although we are making plans for Ontario for for that to uh, happen, there was uh, uh, indication this morning that uh, uh, dry ice is going to be supplied in huge quantities so that uh, these vaccines can be moved from one place to another and kept under the conditions that they uh, need to be. So they they seem to have a handle on. Uh, how to how to do this, and uh, uh, we could expect, though, as always, that uh, uh, because the provinces uh, have the final say in healthcare, that uh, delivery of the vaccine will be different province to province. Uh, not what CARP would like to see. We would like to see the best uh, process used for every province across the uh, uh, country, but at least we know it's moving now in Ontario and Quebec. David, would you like to weigh in on on how they're starting out the inoculation process in Quebec? Well, I think that they're, they're trying to move it quickly to where it's most needed, so I think that that has to be applauded. But uh, I also think that the response everywhere else has seems to be, uh, uh, you know, urgent. It has their full attention. They're obviously trying to get the stuff out into the field as, as quickly as they can and as best they can. And I think in the same spirit that CARP has been so critical of uh, performance of the Ministry of Long-Term Care, 
in Ontario, we have to be fair on the other side of that equation and say the plans look good. Let's see how uh, how it unfolds. You're listening to the Zoomer Squad on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Jane for Libby for a few days, along with David Kravitz and Peter Muggridge, Bill Van Gorder. Peter, I'll put this next topic to you. Uh, we've just received an Angus Reid poll. Um, and it indicates that the first recipients of the COVID vaccine in Britain have provided a positive influence. They were elderly. They are elderly, chipper, enthusiastic about getting the shot. So here in Canada, the latest data from Angus Reid shows there's been a notable increase in the number of Canadians who say they are willing to be immunized against COVID-19 as soon as a vaccine is available to them. So a month ago, 40% said they were keen to be vaccinated ASAP. Today, almost 50% want an immediate jab, and those 65 plus are among the most likely to say they are eager to be immunized. What do you think of that? Yeah, uh, 61% of, of 65 and older said they, uh, they'd love to get vaccinated as soon as it became available. So um, that is, uh, that's promising because, uh, of course, they're the, they're the uh, age group most affected by by the virus and and their willingness you know they they're going to be almost pioneers in this you know the healthcare workers and the and older people are going to be the the pioneers for this vaccine to see how it uh unfolds and and uh, you know a, a big chunk of the population showing willingness is, is is a good sign that the rollout will be successful. Well, let's put that to our audience, uh, our Zoomer radio listeners, of which we have a lot of Zoomers out there listening. If you're 65 plus, are you among the 6 and 10 65 plusers who are eager to be immunized? You will get your shot as soon as uh, you are called to the front of the line or you're given the opportunity to be immunized against COVID-19. We'd like to hear from you why do you want to be among the first to be vaccinated or why are you going to hold off possibly 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-744-740 David you're the demographic expert Uh, what do you think about that the 65 plusers being the most keen to, to get the shot well, I don't think it's surprising. It's obviously very good news, but I don't read as much into the increase from before to now. I think it's entirely attributable to the hard news we've been receiving. You know, less than a month and a half ago, nobody knew this thing was coming as quickly as it did. Now it's here. Now it's been tested. Now it's actually been, you know, put into use. So it's not surprising that more people would kind of believe in it and believe it as something real than they did before. So it's it's wonderful news, I agree with Peter, but it, it doesn't surprise me that as the real-life experiences take place and get reported, that more people would be signing up. The phones are ringing, so we'll get to our listeners in just a moment. But Bill, what about you? What do you think about this poll that uh, older people are more, most likely uh, to be enthusiastic about getting the COVID shot? And not 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 surprised at all. Uh, CARP did a survey of our members last year, pre-COVID, but about the flu vaccine, and almost 85% said uh, they considered it very important, and uh, 75% said they would definitely get the vaccine. The thing that worries us, however, we hope the government is planning ahead now, is that uh, we also know that somewhere between 3 and 10% 
of, of the adult population actually get the vaccines they need in normal times and even less get the second shot when it's a two-dose vaccine. So we're really concerned that the plans are now in place for those people getting their vaccine shots today that two weeks from now, they're going to be able to get the next shot that they need, and those are going to be delivered at the same high rate. 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Jane for Libby, along with Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz. And Marilyn in Bellwood, uh, you're interested in getting the shot as soon as you can, Marilyn. Oh, yes, I've been interested in getting it from the, when they first announced its development. And why? Well, because I think it's important to get this virus stopped and let things go back to normal. Do you feel confident in the approval process by Health Canada? Yes, I used to work in the pharmaceutical industry, and I know what rigmarole they go through, so I am confident. Okay, Marilyn, thanks for calling in. Let's go to Evie in Toronto. Evie, your thoughts about the COVID vaccine? Hi, yes, I would probably wait. Uh, I, I do want to get it, but the thing is, it's going to be so long before we can, you know, be without the masks. And to me, that is one of the things I hate the most. Um, so I'm going to wait and see how things happen. And uh, because I'm still going to have to wear the mask for who knows how long. Yes, yeah, you're right. For a long time. Let me, let me take that to our squad. Uh, Peter Mugrich, um, despite the fact that the COVID-19 vaccine is now being given out, the very first shot just minutes ago, uh, we will be wearing masks and social distancing for some time to come. Yeah, it looks like it, Jane. Although this news is really, uh, you know, providing a lot of optimism, it, it, you know, politicians and, and healthcare experts are saying, it, you know, it's not time to... Uh, you know, uh, relax our, our our restrictions or our attitudes towards this virus. So even if a few people get inoculated at the beginning, we're still going to have to keep it up for a while to come. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't look like Canadians, are, like the whole of Canada, will get the vaccines until well into next year. And um, unless 80% of the population is inoculated then the re- then we're still going to have to keep up these restrictions and uh so it could be some time but but it, it's obviously a very promising development and david when we fast forward so say a year from now uh and the vast majority of canadians have been vaccinated going forward we will all have a much more positive view of of public health and of keeping ourselves and people we love safe as a result of our mutual experience I don't agree uh, necessarily. I think that um, there's a paradox here. It's an awkward one to talk about. And that is you have the lockdown and the social distancing and the masks and the effect it has on the economy and the effect it has on secondary uh, health issues, uh, delayed surgeries, delayed diagnostics, mental health. You have all of that public cost borne by the measures that were brought in. On the other hand, you have this wonderful medical outcome from the research labs that produces these vaccines. And I think paradoxically, I hate to be a, a you know, raining on the parade, I think paradoxically, the better the vaccine does, the more people are going to second guess the lockdown and say, why did we go through all that? Um, how many lives got destroyed? 
uh, for measures that weren't really uh, uh, that effective. And I mean, take a look at the lawsuit now being brought by the Hudson's Bay Company, uh, standing up for certain retailers that have been penalized by the lockdown. You're going to get an, I predict, months and months and months of second guessing during which the inconsistencies in the pronouncements by the public health officials are going to be re-examined, many, in many ways unfairly, but they're going to be re-examined, and I think you're going to have a big hubbub about the whole thing. Frankly. No, I take your point about that. I'm thinking in terms of the way um, we handle ourselves individually, the the regular hand-washing and wiping down oh, yeah, of that'll, our, our... That'll never go away. Right. Completely. That'll never go, that's all good. That'll never go away. Right, and the, so we're less likely to pass germs you know when especially yeah. those of us who share workstations yeah. it's it's always good to wipe everything sure. down before no, you start I, I agree with you completely let's go to gary in toronto gary what would you like to add well i realize that uh, you know the first first time people get shots and then the homes and that uh, i'm curious uh, how does one of in the general public get uh, get a shot like i'm 83 or 84 <laughs> <laughs> and uh and believe it or not, I'm considering going south for a holiday. Yes. So I, I'm very interested in getting a shot, but uh, how do you go about it? Well, I want you to stick around for the second half of the show, Gary, because uh, I will have a panel of experts on to talk about uh, the priority demographics, how they're going to go through the process of vaccinating everybody in the country. So please stick around. Uh, and and uh, build any comments for Gary about heading south to uh, presumably the United States, Gary. Correct. Yes, Bill. Yeah, well, that is a, a, a really good question, a good point, and and I'm afraid following on on your question that people are going to want to relax early and uh, perhaps not take the precautions they uh, they have been especially when it comes to uh, travel uh, i see the ontario government uh, has uh, put out a uh, a ruling this weekend that said that they are not going to give publicly funded tests to people just because they want to travel south they're saying uh, that the advisory is still not to travel, stay home, just because we have some vaccines here in uh, Canada. As David said, it's going to be at least a year until we can really feel uh, more relaxed and as if hopefully we're getting closer to conquering uh, this this thing. So uh, I don't uh, we don't think that people should feel any uh, more confident in being able to travel for a good number of months yet. Uh, Peter, what about you? I mean, that that probably is good. We should not be incentivizing people and paying for their tests so that they can leave the country. Yeah, although um, if you pay for them, then people will be more willing to do to take them, you know, like I, unless they have to prove on their own that, uh, you know, they, they've taken a test. But uh, I, I just don't know if it's if if that's going to be such a huge cost saving um, from the government's point of view, and uh, you know you know what the results would be. Like, why not just just pay for them now? There, there can't be that many people traveling that it's going to bankrupt us. Bill, know? do we know what it costs if you were to pay for your own COVID nineteen test? I, I don't think we we do yet. Yeah. We've seen some we've seen some prices uh, for them when it talked about government purchase in, in large uh, 
numbers, and some some of them are up, you know, over a hundred dollars. So it's not it's not inexpensive mm-hmm. uh, at all. But uh, uh, what numbers? What you know? What the bottom line number is? As Peter said, is 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 hard to say. I I think it's more of a, an availability and uh, uh, the government letting people know the the medical officers of health letting people know they don't think people should be traveling yet. You'll find out more about that at carp.ca. You can also add your name to the petition, the CARP campaign, which is calling for Premier Doug Ford to fire his long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton, for failing to protect nursing home residents in this province during the second wave. David, how is the campaign going? Well, we've blown through 3,000 signatures. It's still going strong. Um, Many of the comments we're getting continue to be really heartbreaking, personal experiences, personal apprehensions, uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, built-up anger at, uh, you know, how the lack of urgency, the lack of clarity, uh, just the underperformance uh, on this admittedly difficult file. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, still, it's still raging, and I think that the Premier is going to have to, when it's all over, whether Fullerton survives or not, he's going to have to... Uh, be uh, very honest with our demographic about uh, why this uh, chaos still persists uh, at this very important ministry. We will leave it there for this week. I thank all three of you for your time. Thanks Thanks, so much. Thanks, Jane. David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media, Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Public Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.